Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today right there in your living room, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the Old Testament book of Esther, Esther chapter 4. Now, if you don't have a Bible there in your living room right now, the words will be on the screen in just a moment. Today, we find ourselves in, frankly, a very uncertain and unfamiliar times. We are living in a moment in a day where most of us are seeing some things or about to see some things that we've never seen before. For example, uh, most of us have never seen a makeshift medical clinic set up in a CVS parking lot, uh, but we're getting ready to, and some of you have already seen that. Most of you have never seen the peak hours of a dining room, a restaurant, if you will, where you've driven by in peak hours only to find the dining room closed and, and chairs literally sitting on top of the table, but that's what we're seeing. Most of us have never seen a bottle of antibacterial lotion sell on eBay for $100 or even a pack of toilet paper going for $100. But some of us saw that this past week. Most of us, I guess, would say that we've never seen a Walmart close before midnight. But hey, we've experienced that now. And for those of you who live in the valley, I guarantee you that you've never before seen Chick-fil-A without a single car in the parking lot. But we saw that even this week as well. Yes, these have been crazy and confusing times. We are living in a moment right now where we are being bombarded with messaging and information. This week alone, I received 48 emails from companies. It seems like every company that I've ever purchased anything from has sent me an email with their COVID-19 response. Uh, we're receiving updates from the White House and from our local state governments. It seems like every 12 to 24 hours, uh, we're filling every moment in between with all sorts of debates and rhetoric and, and questions and, and assumptions of what's to come with this pandemic that's sweeping across the globe. Yes, we are living in uncertain times, but that doesn't mean that we have to be uncertain. Yes, we are living in troubled times, but I'm reminded that Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he told us the key in the very next statement when he said, believe in God, believe also in me. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have believed in him, that he's the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the grave, then as we believe in him, we do not have to be troubled. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And if you've put your faith in him, frankly, we have no reason to fear. Yes, we might have anxieties. Yes, we might have concerns and uncertainties. Yes, there can be a, a cause for pause and all those things. But the fact is that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear because Jesus, our Lord, promised to be with us at all times. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, and lo, I am with you, here's the key word, always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. In other words, if we believed in Jesus, we have the confident assurance that nothing will ever separate us from his presence or from his love. 
In Romans chapter 8, Paul was speaking about several things that we face in life, and then he spoke of the assurance that we have that the Lord is with us. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. Paul said, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, that wonderful truth that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ causes us to truly consider the answer to two key questions. The first question is just simply, have we, have each of us truly accepted the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ? Have we believed in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior? And if the answer to that is yes, then friend, we have nothing to fear. But the second question it causes me to wonder this morning and causes me to ask right there in your living room or kitchen table where you sit in this moment is this. Since nothing can separate me from God, how then should I live my life? Knowing that even in the midst of trials and difficulties, nothing separates me from the love of Christ, how then should I live my life today? Well, in Esther chapter 4, we see a pastor scripture, a, a story that unfolded several hundred years before the birth of Christ. But in this story, I believe wholeheartedly God is showing us how we are to live our life even in the midst of difficulty. This morning, as we consider that question of who's your one and we consider our calling as a Christian, I challenge us to look at the example of a lady by the name of Esther. And what I want us to see in this text is how she determined to live her life. My challenge and encouragement for us here today is to examine how we too are to live our life even in the midst of the crisis that we find ourselves in. Esther chapter four, look with me at God's word. The Bible tells us, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Now, I want you to begin really paying attention to verses 9 and following. Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. Here's what she said. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, 
that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther these words. Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Verse 15, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which, not, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this moment. Right now, all across this valley and beyond, as we tune into your word, would you speak to our hearts, challenge us and change us. I pray all for the glory of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. This morning, as we read Esther chapter four, perhaps for many of you, you're reading verses of scripture and reading a story that you've heard before. Maybe for some of you, this is new. So let me just take a brief moment and tell you the background of what is bringing us to Esther chapter four. The Bible tells us, and even history tells us, that many years ago, there was a king by the name of King Ahasuerus. Funny name to say, kids. I encourage you to try saying it, King Ahasuerus. And he ruled the land of Persia from 486 to 465 B.C., in Esther chapter 1, we learned that Ahasuerus got very angry with his queen, and he literally got rid of the queen. He divorced her, put her away, wanted nothing to do with her any longer. And then in Esther chapter 2, the Bible tells us that we're introduced to another character in the story. His name is by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai was a righteous man, and he was a Jew. And then we're told about a, another character, and that is this lady by the name of Esther. Mordecai had a younger cousin named Esther. And the Bible tells us that Esther's parents had already passed away, and so Mordecai was taking care of her. He was raising her as his own. Well, the king became lonely, and he desired to find a new queen. So he put out a list of requirements, so stipulations, conditions that he wanted to be met in order to find the perfect woman to be his queen. In Esther chapter 2, we were told that Esther, along with many other ladies from the region, were taken to the city of Susa, the capital city, to where she would have the opportunity to be the new queen. This would have been every young girl's dream at that time. Well, in Esther chapter 3, the Bible tells us about another character by the name of Haman. Haman was a wicked man. He was evil, and frankly, he always seemed to have his own selfish, manipulative, kind of self-seeking way. The Bible says that Haman became the right-hand man to the king. And in true manipulative fashion, he began to convince the king that something was terribly wrong. See, Haman hated a certain people group. He absolutely despised the Jews and specifically despised this man by the name of Mordecai. Well, by this time, Esther was not only brought to Susa, but she was chosen to be Ahasuerus' queen. She was the queen of all the land. But Haman didn't know that she was a Jew. And Haman didn't know that she was the cousin of this man that he hated named Mordecai. 
So Haman did all that he could to convince the king that the Jews were evil, that the Jews needed to be destroyed. He even convinced the king to sign an edict saying that the Jews would be destroyed, that the Jews would be wiped out. It's there that we pick up the story in Esther chapter 4. You may hear that this morning and think, what in the world does that situation have to do with us today? But I believe there are many connections and many things that God would have us to see from the story of Esther and how it applies to our life today. There's four things I want you to see from Esther chapter four about living the one life that God has given us to live even in our day to day. If we're gonna make our life count, even in the midst of this COVID-19 situation, four things that I believe God is calling us as the church that we must do. Number one, we must do this. We must acknowledge the crisis. We must acknowledge the crisis. In verses one through eight, we see the first thing loud and clear in the text is that there was a great crisis that was taking place in Esther's day. This wicked man named Haman was doing all that he could to destroy God's people. He lied to the king. He wrote up an edict for the king. He convinced the king to sign it. And, and, and literally, this, this, as a result of this, panic swept all throughout the region. No one was expecting this. They didn't anticipate such a harsh action to happen across the land. The Bible tells us in Esther chapter 3 that not only did it happen, but it happened quickly. And then Haman went to the king, and the Bible says that they ate and they drank and they were being merry. And so at the same time, there was panic sweeping across the region. The king and his right-hand man are sitting back and celebrating joyfully as if nothing is wrong. The scene was so chaotic that in Esther chapter 3, verse 15, it summarizes the scene in this way. It says, the city of Susa was in confusion. They were in confusion. Surely Esther and the Jews are facing a crisis. There was a threat that frankly had arisen out of nowhere that sought to devour and to destroy God's people, the Jews. Things were happening so quickly that there was all kinds of confusion. I wonder this morning, right where you sit in your living room, right where you gather together, maybe by yourself or gather together with people that, that are in your family, can you relate to that? Are things happening quickly? Does it seem that there is a threat upon us? I wonder even today as we gather together, did any of us envision just a few weeks ago that we would be gathering in our living rooms to worship the Lord online as opposed to being right here in the worship center? Did any of us anticipate that we would be hunkering down in our homes, that we'd be going to the stores and finding all sorts of supplies no longer there? Did any of us envision even just a few weeks ago that we would be learning a new phrase called social distancing, which is really a physical distancing? The fact of the matter is, is that Esther was in a crisis that she didn't anticipate. And the fact is we are in the same way. We're in a crisis that we didn't anticipate. It's not the crisis of persecution, but it is a crisis of significant proportion. What we are dealing with right here today in 2020 here in America and across the globe is a health crisis. It's an invisible enemy that's attacking many and taking many lives. It, it poses a threat to so many people. The fact of the matter is this morning is that we're all facing a crisis. But we're not only dealing with a crisis of a health situation. We're also dealing with the crisis of fear and of panic. 
We're dealing with the crisis of, of isolation in the sense that we're not able to connect with each other the way that we want to. Now, I, I realize there are some of us that are saying, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for the break. Maybe some of our introverts watching online right now would say, oh, man, this is a vacation I've longed for. This is a dream come true in some ways. But the reality is we were created for community. We were created to do life together. We were created for relationships. And so as we go through this crisis, we must not ignore it. We must not diminish it. We must not mock it. But we must understand that this is all a part of the enemy's plan to divide, to defeat, and ultimately to destroy. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. From the very beginning of time, Satan has sought to do all that he can to divide and to destroy at times, he's brought those attacks through temptations and struggles. At other times, he brings it through persecution and struggling. At other times, he brings it through disease and devastation. But from the very beginning, Satan's goal has been to divide and to destroy, to bring chaos, confusion, and calamity. And still today, he wants to destroy you, your family, he wants to destroy the church. He wants to do all that he can to rob God of the glory that he deserves. Yes, in Esther's day, she faced a crisis, but the fact is, even though a lot has changed since Esther's day, we still live in a broken world. We still live in a world that is marred by sin with all of its disease, devastation, and destruction. No doubt, living in this fallen world, we still see this division, don't we? From the very beginning, we're reminded of Adam and Eve, how God created them to have a perfect relationship with him and a perfect relationship with one another. From the very moment sin entered the world, they began to experience shame and a separation between themselves. But they also experienced a shame and a separation in their relationship with God as they were now divided. Still today, as a result of sin, we see this division and this separation that Satan brings ultimately to destroy Yes, it was true in Adam and Eve's life. Yes, it was true with Esther and the Jews all the way back in Esther 4. But please understand, ultimately behind all of this crisis is the enemy's work to divide and to destroy. We must acknowledge the crisis. But the second thing I want you to see this morning from the text is, not only must we acknowledge the crisis, church, we must accept the cost. We must accept the cost. See, in the midst of crisis, there is a cost. In the midst of difficulty, God's calling for us still hasn't changed. God's purposes for our life, God's mission for our life, it hasn't changed even in the midst of crisis. And so we see with Esther, the crisis is loud and clear. Haman wanted to destroy all of the Jews. He wanted to have them completely removed. And yet, Esther began to quickly understand there was a cost. Verses 9 through 12, the Bible tells us that Mordecai sends words through a messenger named Hathak, and, and he, tells, uh, he tells Esther this simple message. He says, now, Esther, basically, you need to speak up. Esther, you need to intervene for your people. Esther, you are the queen. God has put you in a great position, so there's a task for you to fulfill. There's something that you need to do. But in this initial moment, Esther was experiencing what many of us are experiencing even now. She was experiencing fear. She was looking at the situation and she was saying, but, 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 but what about my life? 
I only have one life and, and I need to protect it and I have one life, I need to preserve it. I have one life and I need to take that into consideration. In other words, in that moment, she had a fear about her. Now, it's certainly understandable. Esther lived in a day where it was not culturally acceptable to go to the king out of your own desires. Uh, in fact, in Esther's day, if she were to go before the king without approval or without invitation, without the king raising his golden scepter to show favor, if she were to do that, it literally would cost her her life. Now, now there's a sense of this in this moment that part of me wonders, did, did Esther realize the extent of the crisis? Mordecai understood it. Mordecai was living amongst the Jews and he understood the decree. In fact, he even said, hey, here's a copy of the edict that's been signed and I want you to know the suffering that's going on. But frankly, from Esther's situation, she was in a comfortable place. She was in a, a comfortable living environment. She was being served the best of the food. She had many companions around her. She, she personally had no discomfort or suffering in this moment. So Mordecai speaks up and says, hey, you gotta stand before the king. You gotta, you gotta intervene for the people. You, you've been put in this place for a reason, so, so please step forward. Frankly, in that moment, as Esther evaluated her life, she determined that the cost was simply too great. She understood in this moment that in order to step forward and in order to do something, it would likely mean that she would be killed, and she was afraid. You know, the fact of the matter is this morning is that fear is a common thing that we all experience. And there are parts of the unknowns and parts of the changes that, that bring about that fear. But I want to remind us as a Christian, we have nothing to fear. The Lord Jesus is still in control and he is still with us. It reminds me of the illustration that I've told our church family here many times before about the little boy that was at the tree. It was nighttime. She was preparing dinner, sent him to the pantry to go get some green beans. But when he walked into the pantry, he noticed that the light was off and he tried to turn it on, but the light, the, the bulb was blown. He, he was terrified in that moment. He could not go in there. So he came back to the kitchen. He said, oh, mama, I'm scared. I can't go in there. The, the light's not working. Of course, the mother encouraged him. She said, oh, son, there's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be afraid of. Jesus is with you everywhere you go, and if you go into that pantry, he's gonna be right there with you. The little boy heard it and was encouraged and got a boldness about him, so he went over to the pantry, and he opened the door, and he spoke into the pantry. He said, dear Jesus, if you really are in that pantry, would you please hand me the green beans? What that little boy was experiencing that moment was the hope that Jesus is going to intervene and do something because he was afraid. Well, it's okay to be afraid. We all experience fear at times. But in this moment, I believe what God was calling Esther to realize and what he's calling us to realize today, church, is that even in this moment, we must accept the cost. It brings me to a question for us today, and that is this. When it comes to serving the Lord, Christian, are you willing to pay the cost. When it comes to serving the Lord, even in our culture today, are you willing to pay the cost? Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Christian, our calling is to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's not just a word of encouragement. That's a word of instruction and a word of command. It causes me to wonder this simple reality, Christian. As Christians, we have been called today 
to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, regardless of the time and the days in which we live. Regardless of the time and the days in which we live, regardless of the crisis that we face, our calling is still to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what we face, our calling today is still to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. What does that cost? Will it cost us our time? Will it cost us our comfort? Will it cost us our inconvenience? At times, might it put us at risk? The answer to all those things is yes. But I'm encouraged this morning to know that we must accept the cost. In fact, in some ways, we're already seeing the cost of serving the Lord in a time of crisis. For example, today, here at Crossland Community Church, we are not meeting in person. That, that's a high cost. Frankly, church family, I love you. I wish that I could hug your neck right now. I wish that I could give you a knuckle bump or a high five. I wish that we were right here together. But in this season of ministry, this is a cost. This is a change, and yet it's something that we must do. This past uh, Wednesday morning, I was on a conference call with 150 pastors across the state of Virginia, and we're all realizing that there's a cost for serving the Lord in this season. As we tuned into that phone call, literally over the half of the pastors in that gathering were beginning to discuss and learn ways to minister online, and they've never had to think that way before. Never had to use these new tools and technologies, but there's a cost, there are changes as we serve the Lord in this day. I've been encouraged this past week, even here as a staff, uh, we've seen that amongst our staff. Uh, Pastor Marty with our student ministry this past Wednesday evening did a live stream just for our student ministry. That's the first time we've done that. That change has been a cost. Brother Chris with our children's ministry and our email that you received this morning, he developed for us a kids connection to allow us an opportunity for the kids right now to engage with the message that they're hearing. All these things are new. They're changes. It's a cost of the way that we minister here today. Our community group leaders, they're learning how to host community groups online through Zoom calls and through other platforms. This past week, for the first time ever, your technologically handicapped pastor learned how to host and did host a Zoom call for the first time in my life. Say, so, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that in order for us to minister in this season, there's a cost. Some of that is a cost of even changes. Yes, it's hard work and it's effort of creativity that's needed, but it isn't just for the church and it isn't just for the pastors and for the leaders. No, it's for every single one of us. Whether you're listening from here in the valley or even beyond, every single one of us during this time must put in the effort. We must be intentional to connect with one another. We must be creative in finding ways even now to shine the light of Jesus Christ. It's not about our comforts and conveniences. It's not about our preferences and our likes. It's ultimately about God's work and God's will. Yes, there's a cost in serving the Lord in this season. In fact, there are literal costs as well in following the Lord in this season. Here at Crosslink, we've been feeding children all throughout this community through the local school system. There's a cost associated with that. As many of you have been so grateful, uh, gracious to donate, and we are grateful for that. There's a cost in serving the Lord in this season as many are looking for opportunities to serve the seniors all throughout our region and beyond. There's a literal cost as many of our people are being hit hard financially. 
And for those of us who are still in good places where our jobs are secure, we need to be considering how we can sacrificially give more and faithfully continue to support the work of the Lord. Yes, there is a cost. Truly, there are many costs to following Christ. Jesus himself said it this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Was it not Jesus who said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and he must take up his cross and follow me. Was it not Jesus who said in Luke 9, verse 24, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Church, the question is clear. In this season of life, even in the midst of uncertainty, are we willing to pay the cost of ministry? And my hope and prayer is for the glory of God and the good of others, we will say yes and step forward. This is not a time to bury our head in the sand and ignore the challenges. This is not a time to hide in fear and shrink away from our calling. No, this is a time to walk forward in faith to do what God has called us to do. In this moment, Esther's weighing that question. Is my life worth the lives of countless others? Initially, she looks at Mordecai and she says, I can't do it because I'm gonna die. My life is too important to me. And as she weighs and ponders this moment, I think we come to a third point of responsibility, a third calling with our one life during this season of crisis, and that is this, we must answer the call. We must answer the call. In verses 13 through 14, the Bible tells us that Mordecai sent word to Esther. And as he sent word to Esther, he said to her, Esther, don't suppose that this crisis won't affect you. Yes, you might be in a place of comfort right now. And yes, you've been in a privileged position right now. But don't suppose this won't affect you. And then he goes on from there in verse 14, and he says these words. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. What we see this, this morning in this text is there was a huge difference in Esther's perspective and Mordecai's perspective. From Esther's perspective, she was focused on the king and she was focused on the cost and she was focused on the, the value and the preciousness of her life and, and she refused to move forward to, to stand before the king. But from Mordecai's perspective, oh, he was focused on the king. He knew the edict that was at hand, but more importantly, Mordecai was focused on God. Mordecai was focused on how God was working, how God was moving, how God was in control, how God could intervene. So in this moment, we see very much a very similar illustration to the illustration that we see of David and Goliath. All the way back in 1 Samuel, the Bible tells us about David when he stood before that giant. David stood out very differently than all the other soldiers around him. See, all the other soldiers around him, they saw the size of the giant and they were afraid and they were terrified and they, they couldn't move forward. They couldn't win the victory. They, they couldn't overcome. But when David saw the giant, it's not that he didn't see the giant. He saw the giant, but David's focus was on God. 
David's focus was on the greatness of God. And frankly, when David was focused on God, he knew that giant was awfully small in comparison. So David went to that giant and said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. You come to me with your threats. You come to me with your fear. You come to me with your power. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. My God is greater than you, Goliath. And he walked forward in faith. Mordecai in this moment is saying, Esther, I understand. I know of the fear. I know of the uncertainty. I I know of the power of the king. But I also know almighty God. And I know he has all power and he has all authority. And there's nothing he can't do. So he didn't ignore the crisis. He didn't reject the king's decree. Instead, he simply focused on God and how God had been working. And here's what Mordecai says to Esther, and I'll paraphrase it simply. It said something like this. He said, Esther, I know you're scared. Esther, I know there's a lot going on. Esther, I know that things are uncertain. You don't know how things are going to unfold. And Esther, I know that you don't yet know the outcome, and I know it's a scary place to be. But Esther, our God is with you. Esther, our God has blessed you. Esther, our God can go before you. Esther, our God can intervene through you. Esther, God can save all of these people through your simple obedience and faith. Esther, God has called you and he's put you in that position for a time such as this. That's what Mordecai is saying in this moment that the God of heaven is in complete and total control. He put her in that position, and he not only put her in that position, but he put her in that position for a specific time such as this. Church, I want you to know today, we are living in a time of crisis, but this is not a surprise to God. Is this part of God's original plan? No. Is this disease and pandemic a pandemic, what God had planned whenever he created Adam and Eve to live in perfect relationship with him in the garden? No. But ever since sin entered the world, death, disease, and destruction of all kinds came as a result. Still here today in the midst of it all, yes, we are living in the midst of a crisis. God's plan for salvation is still the same. God's hope for all the world is still the same. God's joy that he gives abundantly and overflowing in our life, it is still the same. It is all through Jesus Christ. The only way a soul can be saved, a life can be changed, hope can be living, joy can be overflowing is through Jesus Christ. And yes, even in this day, our calling as a church is still to brightly shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our calling even today is to share the good news of the gospel with others. Our calling today is to recognize, just as Esther recognized, literally there were thousands and thousands of lives on the line. Please understand, Christian, it's not just lives on the line here today. It is the soul's of men and women and children all throughout the world that are on the line today. Our life has never been only about or at all about where we live or what we make or what we own or what our possessions are. No, what matters most is the condition of our soul. Is that soul saved and experiencing the gift of eternal life or is that soul condemned 
Does that person know Jesus or do they not? Had they been rescued by the grace of God or they sang condemned? What is most important is the soul of man. And our calling church in this day is to stand and be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not new to us. In fact, all the way back, we see in the early church in the book of Acts that the church faced great difficulty, great suffering. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, we find that the church was facing intense persecution. In Acts chapter 7, there was their first martyr, a Stephen, was martyred for proclaiming the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to a man by the name of Saul who became very aggressive against the church. He began to attack the church literally as the church was scattered all throughout the area. The Bible says they were, they were in their homes and Saul went into their homes and he pulled them out of their homes to persecute them and imprison them. Well, we would think in that moment of crisis that the church would be silent. Why speak up when it's going to cost uh, a suffering and persecution? We'd think they'd be silent. But Acts chapter 8 verse 4 explains something simple, something powerful but simple. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about, listen to this statement, preaching the word. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. In other words, their physical crisis did not lead to a worse spiritual crisis of silence about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sure they had uncertainties. They had concerns. I'm sure that they had moments of confusion, but we don't see them bowing to the fear. Instead, we see them in this time of crisis loudly and clearly proclaiming, compassionately proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. It brings me to a reality of this simple statement. Our physical crisis must not lead to a worse spiritual crisis of silence about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must answer this call. Paul understood that in 2 Timothy as he's encouraging Timothy to stand bold in the gospel. Here's what he said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. Paul said of himself in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to suggest to us this morning, church, that now is the time to stand up loud and clear and proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not, in the midst of crisis, be ashamed of the name of the Lord. Yes, we are living in an uncertain time. Even today, many of us were scattered all throughout the valley. Our college students have gone home to various states. We have people tuning in from other states, literally throughout the country right now, some through other parts of the world. But as we scatter, let's remember that our calling is to take the word of God and the gospel message everywhere we go. Yes, our interactions socially right now are somewhat limited. So make sure that every interaction counts. Yes, our conversations face-to-face, they're, they're a lot less right now. So make sure every conversation counts. Fact of the matter is we must make sure that we not waste these opportunities. I love the way that A.W. Tozer said it. Here's what he said, and I quote, and this is so powerful, please listen to it clearly. What a fearful world needs is a fearless church. What a fearful world needs is a fearless church. So don't waste these moments. Yes, we must be wise. 
We must be wise in how we interact with each other. We should be wise to practice the, the six-foot distancing that we're being encouraged to take. We should be wise and make sure that we're not gathering in large groups of over 10 people as we were being encouraged to do. We must be wise. We must be respectful and considerate of others as we recognize that there are others around us who are very vulnerable, maybe in our household or maybe even across the street. We must also be obedient to our government as they give decrees and directions. These things are true. But what that means for us as Christians is that we must also be creative. We must be creative in how we minister. The fact is, is that our neighbors, for maybe the first time in my lifetime, they're all at home. Everybody's at home. There's opportunity to say hello via text or via email, even to, to maybe go to the door and to, to wave and let them know. This past week, my family went to several of our local neighbors and even from a distance said hello and they, they asked how they could minister and asked if there were any needs. We can do the same. Maybe we can cut our neighbor's lawn. There's all sorts of things that we can do to be creative, to show the love of Christ and to shine his light brightly during this time today. The fact of the matter is, is that God is giving us an opportunity and the calling is still clear to shine the light of Christ. The question is in this moment, will we do it? Will we shine brightly for Jesus? And my hope and prayer for us as believers is that we answer the call loud and clear. The fourth thing I want you to see as we close the message is this. We must act with conviction. We must act with conviction. Verses 15 through 16 tell us Esther's final response. And I don't know about you, but I can picture the scene as Esther ponders the situation. She knows about the masses of people who are in need. She's aware of the risk involved of her going before the king and answering the call that God had put upon her life. And as she considers Mordecai's words, that God called her that God put her there for a time such as this, that from the foundation of the world, God knew the plans and the purposes that he had for her life. And as she ponders these things, I begin, she begins to understand the truth. And the truth of what God was doing began to overwhelm the fear that the enemy was bringing. She began to reason in her, in her mind and reason in her heart, yes, it's true, it's position, but God is the one who put me here. Yes, it's true, God is the one who blessed me and gave me an opportunity and, and gave me a blessing and gave me favor. Yes, God is the one who's done these things. And it's in recognizing the truth that something changed within her. She didn't merely have a feeling. She didn't merely have a thought. She began to experience a conviction. Something that absolutely convinced her that her life her life need to be spent for the glory of God and the good of others. The Bible says in verse 15 that Esther then gave this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And listen to this statement. Thus I will go in to the king, which is not according to the law. And summary statement, if I perish, I perish. In other words, she says to Mordecai, Mordecai, have all the people pray for me. Have all the people fast and intervene. This is a dangerous season. We need God's favor. We need to seek God together. We need to be unified in prayer. 
I'm going to ask all my maidens to do the same thing. We're going to fast and we're going to pray together. And then I'm going to step forward. I'm going to answer the call. I'm going to go before the king. And I'm going to answer that call of God to intervene for the Jewish people. You know what's amazing to me in this moment? It's just a few verses earlier. Esther knew of the need. And yet she said, my life is too important. It's too high a cost to pay. But now that she's reminded of God's call and God's blessing and the position that she's in because of God's plan, she now looks at those countless lives that would be impacted. And here's what she determines. She determines now that the calling of God is so important that she absolutely must act. In other words, her life is no longer simply about herself, but now she's looking for the glory of God and the good of others, and she's saying, I've only got one life, and so I'm gonna make that life count for the glory of God and the good of others, regardless of the cost, regardless of the challenges, regardless of the changes that have taken place, regardless of what it might require of me, for the glory of God and the good of others, I will surrender my life. She was so convinced that God's call must be answered regardless of the cost that she said, Here I am, I'm gonna be obedient, and if I perish, I perish. You know, the interesting thing about that is that we see that in Esther's life in Esther chapter four, but we also see that all throughout God's word. All throughout the New Testament, we see the apostle Paul, as the apostle Paul would literally look at his own life in Philippians 1 verse 21, and he would say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Largely, what he was saying in that moment is, for me to live, my life is solely for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for myself. It's that same Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that would look at the Corinthian church as, as his own life was being poured out for their good. He would rejoice that his life was being poured out. Here's the way he said it in verses 8 through 12. He said it this way, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Listen to this statement. So death works in us, but life in you. Esther had that conviction my life for the glory of God and the good of others. The Apostle Paul had that conviction, my life for the glory of God and for the good of others. Here's my question for us, each of us. Can we also say that our life is being lived for the glory of God and for the good of others? What about you this morning? In this time of crisis and difficulty, this time of uncertainty and circumstance, how will you spend your life? Will you spend it in fear and panic? Or will you spend it moment by moment trusting in Jesus? Will you spend your life in fear, constantly keeping attuned to everything that's going on, every worry, every concern, every fret? Or will you spend it getting in God's word And letting the promises of God's word, which are eternal, letting them encourage you and rule your heart and mind and transform you for the glory of God. How are you spending your life? Will you look at the Lord's call and say, well, 
I can't do that. Will you look at the Lord's call and bury your head in the sand or will you answer that call? Yes, in the midst of dark and difficult times, we are not called to live in silence. We're called still to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of Christ always shines brightest when it's surrounded by darkness. The light of Christ always shines brightest when it's surrounded by darkness. Christians, we are living in a difficult day, but I wanna encourage you, yes, be wise. Yes, be respectful, but be creative, finding ways to shine brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as I encourage your creativity in that of how you're gonna minister to neighbors and coworkers and various people you might have interactions with, I I challenge you. In many ways, it's kind of a shame that the most creative minds in the world seem to always be at Disney and Hollywood. Hollywood. Fact of the matter is, is that we can be creative about the ways that we are turning people towards Jesus, loving them, serving them, sharing with them the reason for the hope that's in us. And so I want to encourage you, be creative in that. Be willing to say like Esther, you know what? Yes, there's a crisis. Yes, there are risks. Yes, there are challenges. But I've got one life to live. And for the glory of God and the good of others, I'm going to live that life to serve and minister to others. If you're a Christian this morning, I challenge you right now in your living room. Right now, would you just pray and ask God to give you wisdom, give you creativity about how to minister to others? Maybe even now, right where you're sitting, God's putting someone on your heart and mind that you need to minister to and reach out to. Someone maybe that's afraid, someone that you haven't heard from in a while, someone that now that you've got some free time, you gotta pick up the phone and call. Right now, would you be praying? Maybe you're here tuning in right now and you'd say, man, pastor, that's, man, this whole thing's scary. This whole crisis is, it's, it's terrible, it's horrible, it's terrifying and I, I don't sense peace. I, I don't have hope. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Well, this morning, I would just encourage you to be reminded that when you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have a peace that passes all understanding. You can have a joy that is so feeling that is unspeakable, the Bible says. It's so abundant, you can't even put it into words, even in the midst of crisis. But that all comes from a relationship with Christ. So this morning, if you're tuning in and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can. By simply believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again from the grave. Confess Jesus to be the Lord and ruler of your life today, and he will give you a peace today. So this morning, if that's you and you're tuning in, right where you are, would you just simply pray and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Lord, that you died on the cross and that you rose again from the grave. And Jesus, because you were Lord, I invite you today into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Would you forgive me and cleanse me? And because you are the Prince of Peace, I ask you today, Jesus, to bring peace to my heart and to my life. May this day forward I live to bring honor and glory to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 
If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.